This is a hard word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, we have to remember from whence we have come. Remember, Zephaniah is stepping into a circumstance in which there has been a reformation. Josiah has found the book of the law, and he is making changes that are good, and the, the city is flourishing. However, there's a group of people who oppose that reformation because they like the old way of doing things. They like to rob the poor. They like to be able to have prostitutes in the temple. They like to be able to sacrifice children. And so they didn't like their freedoms being impinged upon with this new reformation. And so they were pushing against things. And unfortunately, they were from every strata of uh, the known culture and society. There were priests, there were elected officials, and there were common everyday folk who did business in the marketplace. And this was a large enough forms did not last very long, as so often is the case. And so uh, here we have Zephaniah warning. And if you remember from last week, it was creation that was affected by our sin. Because we are connected to, to all things. We're connected to creation. We're connected to each other. We're connected to the nations uh, through the mission that the Lord has given to us. We affect all of those things when we sin, when we depart from the Lord, when we lose the narrative of God's love for this world. And what's interesting is you remember it sounded like, uh, if we were to just read verses two and three, that God was really worked up and he was overreacting. He's gonna sweep everything away? Is it really that bad? Now, here's what's interesting is, uh, as we're gonna see here, judgment begins in the house of the Lord and they were already sweeping things away themselves. And it was of eternal consequences. They were already undoing creation, as we're going to see, with their actions. They were going against the creation mandate. They were going against the very purpose for which they were created. And the Lord essentially is stepping in to stop them from destroying everything. And he's saying, you need to take more seriously justice and mercy and the call to serve and love and the call to actually tell of my love for the nations. As you go, so they go. So it's very important that we recognize that how we live matters, right? It matters to the world. It matters to the coming generations. And so my opening question is, how have you been affected by the sins of other Christians? We all have, right? Think of the impact that the rise and fall of Mars Hill has had uh, on the, the, the conversation about toxic spirituality and leadership at current, right? Like it, it really has struck a nerve and it should have. Well, Mark Driscoll was in Seattle and I get it. He was worldwide and he had a big personality, but did he really have an, that big an impact on Kennesaw, Georgia? Ackworth, Woodstock, Marietta? But it has affected us all to hear of, of the kind of things that were going on there. It's discouraging, isn't it? Unfortunately, some of the most discouraging thing you can do is get in a room full of Christians sometimes. And I'm not throwing stones. We just need to be cognizant of uh, the power that we have and our lives have on other people because if Christianity is true, and obviously I think so because I'm standing up here, if it's true, then it must carry some weight. It must have hope and creativity and be about reconciliation. Remember, you are ambassadors of reconciliation, not ambassadors of reckoning. Too often we sound like we are ambassadors of a reckoning that is actually contra the Lord's mission. And that is odious and obnoxious. 
And we need to take stock of it. The good news is Jesus loves odious and obnoxious people of all stripes, of all uh, philosophies, of all religions. And he continues to intercede for those who are odious and obnoxious who have been saved. Now, that doesn't let him off the hook because that's what we see here. The Lord takes seriously how we live, and it is a just thing for him to step in and say, if this is how you're going to live, I am going to remove, essentially, my lampstand from you. I'm going to remove you. And So let's step into the text and see how there's a number of reversals that are going on that are deadly to the mission of God. He starts with, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs of the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. This is yet another example of judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And not just the house of the Lord, but the temple of God. Notice that he begins with the priests. And we know uh, from the sermon series that we had in Hosea some time back, Hosea 4.6 says that the people perish for lack of knowledge. When we don't do what we are called to do, when we don't serve to help point to the things of God, that is devastating to the current generation and the generations that follow. This is why I am worthy of double judgment, both now and not yet. And we need to take very seriously our calling because what we see here is that they had actually departed from the creation mandate. Notice that they were worshiping the created order. There were priests who would go up on the rooftops and worship the stars. You may say, well, what's the big deal there? I mean, that ain't too bad, is it? Well, but it's, it's the actual undoing of what God, how God had ordered creation. It's the stars who testify of the creator. And if you worship the thing that testifies, like the stars or the law, or the church, or the Bible, then you are getting it out of order, and sooner or later, idolatry becomes a major problem. And notice that they also were swearing by both the Lord and somebody named Milcom. Now, that's actually another term localized for Molech. If you know anything about Molech, he was the God who required the sacrifice of children. Let's just pause and think about that for a second. If you are called to be fruitful, multiply. What insanity is it to take one of the gifts that you've been given? And, and of course, we know how fragile pregnancy is. They didn't necessarily know all the statistics back then. But we know how fragile it is. But in their culture, to give up one of your children was insanity, lack of wisdom. It would reduce your ability to actually survive by at least that factor. For them to kill their children as opposed to help them to flourish. That's crazy. And not only that, they were actually getting to the point where they were cutting the Lord out altogether. This is just the priests now. And they had known historically of how the Lord had dealt with the northern kingdom in 722, right? So in 722, the Lord sweeps away the northern kingdom. They had set up their own temple. They had their own priests. Basically, they were paying folks to tell them what they wanted to hear. Does that sound familiar? And so, so the Lord, they'd already seen the Lord do this once. He, he, he told them he was going to do it. He gave them time in his grace and his mercy. They didn't listen. He swept them away, and the northern kingdom would never return. They were never to be heard from again as the northern kingdom. 
And so here he is warning that the priests are the primary problem. I think that's still true today, right? That is still a truity today because there are so many who claim to be coming in the name of God that are leading people astray, either telling them uh, the, the, what they want to hear, right? The whole itching ears issue, which is a, what Paul warns Timothy of, or they are abusing and using people for their own gain, which was spoken of in the Old Testament. They're basically consuming the sheep so they can get fat. This is a very sobering thing. And for those of you who have been hurt by church, this is a good word to you that there will be a day of reckoning and a day of justice in this regard. We just don't get to decide what that day is. And so we need to recognize that, that, that as, as the, the priests go, so go the people so often. And this is important that we be uh, holding uh, our leadership accountable, right? We, we, that we would hold them accountable to the scriptures themselves, which means you got to know them in order to hold me accountable. Remember uh, from last week what we talked about, how, how you know a false prophet is whether or not he's leading you away from the Lord. Well, how do you know he's leading you away from the Lord? Except you can tell it's, a, it's, it's against scripture, because false prophets can actually prophesy and things come true. There is power in darkness. And so this is the issue here and it starts with them. He then moves on to the next group of people, which is the elected officials. Now this is a little different than one-to-one -one for our day because they were a theocracy. And a theocracy would mean that the king was expected to uphold the law. That he too, like the priest, had a function in terms of keeping God's word before the people and helping to make sure that justice was served. Well, we're going to see here that's not what's happening. In fact, they are going against their function and they too will be undone. He says, the day of the Lord is near. Let me pause here for just a second. The day of the Lord is not a single day. We make a, a mistake exegetically when, when we think that it's this one that intersects into history. And so Jesus, when he came, because he was the God-man, that was an extended day of the Lord for the three years he was here. And so it's important that we recognize that it also happens in phases. And the reason that it happens in phases is because he is gracious and merciful. He's wanting us to see I'm showing you that what I said was going to come true is coming true in parts so that you will have time in my mercy, in my grace to be saved. Which is why he, when he takes uh, Jerusalem into exile in 586, he doesn't immediately judge the nations. That comes later. And he doesn't sweep everything away in one fell swoop because that is reserved for the last return of Christ, which will be a day of the Lord. So that's very important as you read that you recognize that that is the case. It's not one single day. It would be confusing to you if you thought that was the case. But he basically says, be silent before the Lord God. I love that because he's just dealt with the religious people. And guess what religious folks like to do? They like to uh, justify, obfuscate. Uh, they like to try, to try to save themselves. So in grace, he tells them to shut their mouths. I don't want to hear your babble. So be silent before the Lord. There is no excuse. There is only repentance and redemption. Stop with being defensive. We would do well if, I, if we as Christians could learn that a defensive posture is never Christ-like. You can never emulate Christ when you're being defensive. You can't. 
If we could learn that, we, we would make some progress on some things, I, 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 would, I would posit based on my experience. But he says, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. Now, this is interesting because essentially he's saying, I have, I have chosen a sacrifice. Now, you and I on this side of the cross could read Christ into this, but that's not what he's talking about. He's actually saying, it's you. It is you, the elected officials who have sinned against my people. You are no longer kings. You are sacrifice. And the consecrated guests are the nations because the king's job was to bless the nations. Part of what he was called to do and the elected officials along with him is the Abrahamic covenant to make sure that the gospel as they understood it, which remember Paul calls the Abrahamic covenant the, covenant, the gospel in Galatians uh, chapter three and four. It, they, their job was to make sure that would go forward in a just fashion. Well, they were failing to do it, so God was undoing them. They would now be the example before the nations of God's judgment instead of his love. And as it goes on, he makes it clear as to who it is. He says, in the day of the Lord's sacrifice, and on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who, like they're maybe dressing all in those Russian track suits or something like that. Like, no, that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is they, much like you would have heard when, when they were choosing a king, remember what they said, we want a king like all the other nations that looks like all the other nations. So this isn't merely dressing poorly or dressing in some bohemian way. This is you have come to look like and be like and act like the nations instead of who God created and intended you to be. And so he will judge them for that because they are failing to be just to the people. They are failing to keep the word before them. And he goes on and he says, and on that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold. Now, this was a Philistine practice. They didn't want to offend their god, Dagon, by stepping on the threshold. So they would leap over it, hop over it, right? For a certain generation in here, if I were to say, step on a crack. Yeah, how many, how many moms have suffered vertebral fractures based on this crack issue? Right? None that I know of, uh, and I was a physical therapist. You'd have thought I'd have treated it. Yeah, I think my kid stepped on a crack, and I've had back pain ever since. <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. And so they were making sure that they were being uh, observing this ridiculous practice instead of knowing about the things of God, instead of observing what was important for them to observe, they were students of the surrounding culture more than they were students of the very law they were called to uphold and keep. That's a problem. And he says, and those, and this is really more important than all of that, this is the result of them wanting to look like the nations and them wanting to observe all these practices. It says, and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. There will be a reckoning for the leaders. And some of you, as you sit here, are like, finally, good. Finally, we're going to deal with this leadership problem. Well, I got something to say to you. Because the impact of poor leadership, the impact of, of godless leadership is that everybody gets swept away. Everybody gets affected. So next, what we're going to see is that God's judgment is going to move into the marketplace and the home. 
So we, we are affecting, we have an impact on all phases of society with how we live. Listen to what it says. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the traders are no more, and all who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who basically say, God's not here. So what we see is that God's judgment is searching. No one can get away from it. This is important for you to hear. Because I think some of us think, well, as long as I'm good, as long as I take care of myself, my little six feet of square space that's supposed to be mine according to the Bill of Rights, as long as I do that, I'm good. It's not true. If you're a Christian, you're interconnected in such a way that makes that patently untrue. You are, by virtue of Christ in you, we are joined together. And as you go, so we go. As we go, so you go in some way, right? So this is important. This is why it's important for you to be praying for us as leaders. It's important for you to be astute enough in Scripture that you can notice when we get squirrely or we get stuff wrong that could be confusing to the next generation. Now, I'm not looking for 800 emails for every jot and tittle, right? For some, like that Russian track illustration. You don't need to send an email on that one. We're good. That's not a biblical issue. But uh, what, we, what we do need is to make sure that we understand and that we are serving you in the name of the Lord, that we are serving our communities in Christ who calls us to walk humbly, to love justice, and to do mercy. And so uh, it's important because it's going to affect you eventually, right? Who has not been affected by the failure, moral failing of a leader of some kind? or a church that gets sideways. And so what he's saying is, it would be better if you all searched as hard as I do. If you would search yourselves out, Paul talks about this, that if we would examine ourselves and look for sin the same way that God comes looking in judgment, it wouldn't be required. And so he is going to be thorough and no one is going to get away. Later on in the, the chapter tells us, your money won't save you. How many people right now, because they think the world is coming to some sort of end, are turning to and trying to store up for themselves that which is going to perish instead of making sure that what they're storing up is treasure in eternity? Because all this will be swept away. Notice what he says, the, the traders, that's the people who buy and sell, those, the bankers, everybody goes because of their complacency. And he says, though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. Their lives, essentially, and their work, it'll, it'll be meaningless. And this is important that we see that, it, that God's judgment is this thorough. The stakes are life and death. We need to take more seriously the eternal consequences of our words and actions today. We need to be more cognizant of how we're affecting the people around us. It's interesting how the church is affected by the sins of others. You might think, uh, my sin's private. I've been given a gift, and you have particular ways in which the Lord. And when you get sideways in sin, we see this all the time. And generosity drops, serving drops, the capacity to be hospitable drops, right? 
It causes the rest of the church to wonder and to stir and to gossip if not careful. So we are connected. You matter. And that should be encouraging to you. You have something to offer. You play a part in this ecosystem and how it affects all the things going out and going forward. Now, Zephaniah is going to conclude the chapter by bringing it back around to the totality of God's judgment. And notice all the things that have come undone because the people were undoing them. It's not that the Lord just got all spun up and said, I'm going to sweep everything away because you guys are a little dirty. No, they were actually undoing the covenant things that he had granted to them and how he had served them. It says, the great day of the Lord is near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. You could take this section and read it alongside Genesis 1, and what you would witness is the undoing of Everything that the Lord has done. A day of gloom instead of the light shining in the darkness. A day of war instead of peace in the garden, able to walk with the Lord in the cool of the day and, and take and eat of all that was good. And he goes on, I will bring distress on mankind so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end. He will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. This is not what this world was designed to be and do, and we would do well to hear the warning and to examine ourselves and ask, what are we doing that is contra the person and work of Christ that is undoing the very purpose for which we were created because of our interconnectedness? Are we the most hopeful and creative people in any given room? Or are we arrogant and shrill? Arrogant and shrill under no circumstance that I can think of is attractive. Try it. For those of you who are single, Try it. Try to find a mate being arrogant and shrill. Just go somewhere and just try it and see who you draw to you, right? It is, it is not something that ever speaks of God's love for this world. Now, are there sharp words to say? Yes. The nations is because the church fails in her mission. Too often we get that backwards. We have sharp words for the world and culture. Why would you expect them to be different? Why do you have this expectation that if we can't hardly behave and we're saved, how are they supposed to get it right? With what power? So it is we who have to examine ourselves first. And this is a good word to us because what you're going to hear next week, Matt gets to preach the good sermon in the midst of the judgment. I'm not even going to be here. I don't even, you guys are just going to think Cameron just shows up for judgment. That's all he cares about at Easter, which is weird. But I do, <laughs> I do want to read this to you so, you so you know that the word it doesn't end on so devastating a note. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect. 
Before the day passes away like shaft, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. This is a warning to draw us to the Lord. This is a call to repentance. We know that the latest that this could have been delivered is about 609 BC. It doesn't take but maybe 20 years and they're in exile. So the day of the Lord was near. It was hastening fast. But they had at least 20 years from the time Zephaniah finishes his work until that day comes. That's pretty stinking gracious. So we want to recognize that the Lord has been gracious to us in Christ. Consider how Christ in in some measure follows the structure of this passage in his humiliation. Instead of me as priest having to be judged for all the mistakes I make, Jesus is our high priest who died for us who are in the priesthood. Died for us who would serve in his name so that the judgment would fall on him. Now, that doesn't give us carte blanche to act a fool. It should motivate us to gratitude and want to serve him in a way that doesn't hurt you or us. Notice he is the king who comes, the king who keeps justice and keeps the Lord's love before his people, who calls the nations to repentance and blessing, unlike the kings who had failed and would be judged. And notice he puts on flesh like folks who work in the marketplace. He was a carpenter. He endured the limitations of humanity. He endured the sorrows of humanity. All so he could save us. What a beautiful picture that Christ is, especially as we are in the Easter season, those things so that we would not have to. Again, that's ultimately but there is the judgment that can come. You know, the Lord could remove the lampstand of this church based on our Revelation sermon series. He could sweep this church away and it would be no more. It's important that we recognize how we live matters. Listen to what Daniel Weber says about this passage. He says, here are people who are willing to take the trouble to observe the smallest details of a pagan custom. He's talking about jumping over the threshold but are indifferent to the basic demands of God's law, which requires honesty and justice. No one can properly complain when the warrior king comes in judgment. So how do you respond to the threat of God's judgment for your sin? Does it humble you? Does it make you say, show me, O Lord, my darkness and and apply the balm of the Gilead of Christ. Help me to live in a way that glorifies you. Is that your posture when you hear about judgment? Or does it cause you to make arrogant excuses? Does it make you say, yeah, but I'm not like those people. I'm much nicer. I'm much kinder. I don't deserve this. Is that what Daniel said? Do remember that Daniel was in the group that was swept away in 586. An honest, good young man. He was a teenager. He hadn't even done all that much wrong yet. He hadn't even gotten, in fact, he was probably a preteen. But he was swept away and never returned. He died in exile for the sins of other people, but was faithful to pray and do. We don't get to decide on the day of judgment. We don't get to isolate ourselves and step out of the crowd and say, but Lord, I am better than them. No, we are in this together.
why it's important that you be considerate of what you say and do in all the spheres in which you have influence. And then do you recognize the impact that your sins uh, and lack of repentance have on the health and effectiveness of the local church? It is crippling at times. And so we want to be a people who are humble and repentant and who reflect the character of Christ, who are just and merciful and gracious, creative and hopeful. What a gift that we who have been baptized get a chance to improve upon our baptisms and be reminded of who and whose we are, that the high priest and the king has come and that we uh, have the opportunity to be redeemed, that we have the opportunity to not be swept away, but instead be part of the mission of God to see the family get bigger and bigger, to see things made new again, even before the return of Christ. You do know that we can do some good stuff between here and there. You do know that we can have an impact on our, our communities and our society in a way that, that, it, that can be a blessing. It won't last forever. What it is that we get to be reminded that Christ died for us, and he rose again, and that we as baptized ones get to continue to live out our baptism. I love the way Eugene Peterson's son talks about it. Whenever he preaches a funeral, if the per person is baptized, he says they have completed their baptism. Because it does, it spans the whole of our life. Too often we've left it to just that one moment. And so what a beautiful picture that the Lord continues to use these sacraments to remind us of who and whose we are. Now, we're going to baptize a baby. For those of you who uh, are not in a group, who think that's weird, um, I don't have enough time to try to convince you, and it's probably not going to happen in a forum like this. But what I do want you to do is recognize how just like this baby, when you were saved, you had essentially the mental capacity to save yourself this child does. You had the same ability to save yourself that Shepherd's going to have to keep me from putting water on his head. And so you were saved in an infantile and broken and dead state. Praise be to God. And this is evidence of the Lord's goodness to us, the church, that he would entrust a child to us. That he would entrust a child to our children's ministry that just got enough volunteers. That he would entrust the Blackman family, that they would trust us to remind them of the gospel. What a gift that is to us. So I hope that you can at least walk away with that appreciation of it, regardless of your agreement on its praxis. And do know for us, there's no differentiation between infant and adult baptism. It's just baptism. It all means the same thing, that the Lord, you're not saved by it, but that the Lord is at work in the midst of it, that the Lord was at work in some, your life, our, my life, this child's life, before we knew anything about it. For a child to be born to a Christian family that's going to raise him in the admonition of the Lord, we need to start seeing that as gift and take it serious. And to a church that hopefully is taking the gospel seriously.